Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Out of the message. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. God is self-sacrificing. So when Christ came and died for you and for me, he was the ultimate reflection of the Imago Dei, the image of God. Because at its very best, I believe, God's image is the one of giving of self, self-sacrificing. You know, I often hear people say that they found God, and I understand in many ways what that means but and the reality is and around the world most religions that's how they look they go find their god they do certain things they work their way there but let me say this if you find god your god is too small You say, may, you may say this morning well that's just semantics that's just a one way of saying another one way of saying and I'd say no especially the topic we're talking about today. Christ came after us. He came after me. He came after you. And finally, there was a point we recognized who he was. But he came after us. He came looking for us. See, and you look at that and go, why is that important again, Kurt? Because God sent His one and only Son. If you can work your way to God, if you can create your own deed, if you can work your way there, the cross is a moot point. Let me say that again. Why is it important we're going to talk about that God is self-sacrificing? Because if you can work your way to God, the cross should have never happened. There's no reason for it. The cross is the greatest example of self-sacrifice. Greater love has no one than this. And these are Christ's words in John 15. That he lay his life down for his friends. A great example this last few weeks, of course, of the teachers and the coaches and maybe other students we don't know for sure at Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida. To lay your life down for another. For a friend, but this is what's so amazing about Christ. He did it for his friends and for his enemies. 
that while we were still sinners, while that was the case, He still died for us. You know, Scripture and history too, but Scripture is littered with, no doubt, with those who sacrificed it all for the advancement of the kingdom. There's no question about that. Many of you probably know, but maybe if you don't, 11 tradition tells us or history tells us that 11 of the 12 disciples died a martyr's death. 11 of the 12 died a martyr's death. Now, they died it. They died, obviously, believing they had seen Jesus face to face. They knew what they were getting into, but they all died giving of their life for this. And around the world today, if you looked at our brothers and sisters around the world, that they are coming under persecution. They're coming under, in many ways, not only jail time many times, or maybe their business, but many of them are being killed, maybe by the hundreds, hundreds for sure, as we look at the statistics. It could even be by the thousands. Literally, around the world today, still being martyred. Three or four years ago, many of you got to see this symbol that, 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 we, that ISIS was painting on in Mosul specifically, but they were doing it other places and, and, and uh, Iraq, as they were taking over that part of the country, we were seeing that symbol uh, around, and, you, and it's Arabic for the follower of the Nazarene. Literally, it's, what, it's not called Christian there. It's called the follower of the Nazarene. A Nazar- Nazarene, I can't say it right in Arabic, but, but that is the symbol. They were painting that, and what it meant was you either pay a tax or you what? You die. Or you run, which is what many of them did. And I'm not saying that was wrong either. But if you've got your family there, you go, okay, I see what's coming. It may be time to live and fight another day. So when we begin to talk about self-sacrifice, and especially if we see Jesus' example, there is the extreme that could be asked. No question about that. But most of us are never going to be asked that. That's the reason why we're going to land in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. You can find it. I'll give you a second to find it in your Bible or your electronic device, or it's up on the screen. Therefore, therefore, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, now he's talking to believers here, obviously. In view of God's mercy, in other words, we've read all, I've written 11 chapters of Romans. Now that you've read that and you've gotten a real grip of who God is and what he has done for you, now that you've done that, therefore, I urge you, not, hey, hey, it's a good option if you want to look into this. No, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, We've been talking about this now how many weeks? And God's love, and God's good, and God's trustworthy, and God's generous. We've been talking about In view of all of that, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing, and you can go listen to Holy last week, and I could preach a whole series on Holy if you want to go there. But that's not. But holy and pleasing to God. You know, the scripture said, we talked about in Hebrews last week, without holiness, no one will see God. 
That's pretty, that's holy mackerel kind of, holy smokes. I need to get that right. I need to know what that means. If that's true, if that's what that means, and that's what, and Scripture's serious about that, without holiness, no one will see God. Living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, that is your true and proper worship. And then some version says that is your reasonable act of worship. In other words, that is the least you can do. Now, I'm going to ask a whole lot more of you. Here's the starting point. That's how I read that. I don't just read that passage of Scripture as, whew, if I can just do that. No, it's, that's the getting in point. That is reasonable. That is the least we could do. But he starts giving us some instruction. I'm not going to preach on that today. And again, there's a lot there to preach on, and I've preached on it many times before. But to, offer, to do not conform to the pattern of this world will be transformed or morpho or metamorphosed like a, a caterpillar to a butterfly, literally being transformed. We'll talk about that more next week. That God is a God of transformation. He is a God who transforms our life. He didn't just stop us from doing something. He causes us to become something we never were before. That's awesome. That's the kind of God I want to serve. That's the kind of faith I want to have. I don't know about you, but it is for me. I don't want to just discipline myself to stop doing stuff and, I, stuff, and I may need to discipline myself. But I want to become something I never could have been before because God has changed me. But be transformed by the renewing your mind then. I love that word. One of my favorite words, many of you know, then. So I've said all that, then. You'll be able to test, literally it means there, test means to have knowledge of, and approve, literally what approve means there. If you, you not only will test it and know it, but when you approve it, you'll embrace it. It's like you're loving it. Going, I've been hunting for you. Man, now I'm seeing what you want out of my life, God. And man, I'm embracing it. What God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. To offer. The reason why I love that phrase in there is because it's a choice. I believe there's a true choice on your life and on my life to offer ourselves. As a living sacrifice, again, living here, I think it may be harder to be a living sacrifice than the one as a martyr sometimes. In a moment, you may step in front of a bullet for your family. And you would be honored for that. The question is, would you live the next 30 or 40 years as a husband and a dad holy and pleasing unto God? And that's the question, isn't it? The question for many fathers and mothers and husbands and wives and friends and whatever is not would I take a bullet for someone. Oh, yeah, I might do that. I might step in a moment, step in front of that bullet. That's not the question here. The question is, am I willing to live as a holy sacrifice? That's the question. You know, as we've been going through this series, uh, one of the things I've brought up over and over through this series is that our picture of God is critical. Because I am convinced our picture of God rubs off on us. 
If we believe a God is a God of legalism, then we're going to put that on everybody else. We believe a God, a God, He's a God of just letting everybody do what they want to do, and everybody just kind of go. But that may be the way we live our lives. And the way, we, but when we begin to see God and we get a picture of God, it begins to change who we are. And I'm convinced it begins to be lived out in our lives. But a God of self-sacrifice. It's choosing to do something that you didn't have to do. It's letting go of something you didn't have to give up. It's going someplace you did not have to go for the good of others and the advancement of the kingdom. It's saying something you did not have to say, or it's being quiet when you did not have to be quiet. It can be both. It's providing something that you did not have to offer. Jesus says in John 10, no one takes my life from me. I love this. It's kind of like this John Wayne feel to this. I love this. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down by my own accord. In other words, if I don't want you to do it, I'm bringing in 10,000 angels and we're going to have an issue. No. He did not take his position as deity and say, I'm not giving it up. No, by humbling himself. By giving up something he didn't have to give up. Not for his good, but for the good of others. To offer. And let me say this here. To offer here is a choice that I believe it's instigated and empowered by the Holy Spirit. But nonetheless, a choice to offer. Some of you have been instigated by the Holy Spirit. You've been awakened. You've been made aware. And for the offering, you've been empowered. But it's a choice. But it's a choice. And I believe our willingness to sacrifice is really stamped all over us. We do it all the time. We sacrifice one thing for something else. We, we, all, we all understand that a little bit. But the question then becomes, is it for your good or for the good of others? Is it for your good or is it for the advancement of your lifestyle you know, or, 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 or for the good of the kingdom? I mean, I've seen it and I've dealt with it in my life that people have sacrificed their children for drugs and an addiction. That's the truth. We know that. And you may have sacrificed many times for good intentions. You may sacrifice your children's growing up years for a sport. You may sacrifice not really engaging your journey from now till 60-something because you want to set aside for retirement and you've, you've engaged that more than you've engaged the journey along the way with your family. As a matter of fact, you might not even get to retirement. Maybe you and your spouse, I, many times I've seen where a spouse has passed away by the time you get there. But you don't celebrate along the way. You sacrifice today for something that's 30 years from now. And some of you have gotten there and it's still empty because you didn't have a greater vision or a greater purpose. 
than just retirement. It could be money, a job. Some of you sacrificed your health for bad eating habits. You just decided, I'd rather have self-indulgence than good health. And we all battle that to some degree, no doubt. We all have these issues. But what I'm saying is we get it. We all kind of work through it. We sacrifice this for that. We sacrifice the way I want to live for my influence on people's lives. We just do. I mean, I don't even think it's arguable. (laughs) We just do. So we get self-sacrifice. We get the sacrificial thought. It's stamped on us. We know we're willing to give up something else for something else. We just most of the time don't want to talk about it. Because if we did, we would be pretty upset at ourselves and at other people. So we just don't talk about it. My, my dad, many of you heard me tell the story. My dad was born in 1922. And in 1930, he was 88 years old. And Great Depression, many of you know, you know your history a little bit. But my grandfather, uh, Grandpa Gentry, uh, got... At real sick, so my dad at eight years old became the, the main income for the home and began to drive a team of horses, of four, uh, two to four horses, depending on when it was, and he would be the main, in, he ended up being 12 kids in the family. My dad was the oldest boy, and he ended up being the main income for them for quite a few years, or they wouldn't have made it at eight years old. But somewhere about 11 or 12 years old, he was laying he t- talks about the fact he was laying in another room, usually on the floor. They just slept right there on the floor there in northeast Texas. And most well, they moved from there to Arkansas to Oklahoma. They were sharecroppers, so they moved different places. But he remembers laying there, hearing Grandma and Grandpa Gentry, and I love my grandparents, but they, had, they made a choice. They made a choice at, a, at about 11 or 12-year-old boy's age, and my un- other uncle was about 10, I think, at the time. They made a choice, that, and he, he remembers them hearing, hearing them say, we're going to sacrifice... A.G. and J.C., that was their initial, that's what we called them, we're going to sacrifice their education so everybody else can get an education. So my dad never really went to school except when it rained because you couldn't work in the field. So my dad never got an education. All other ten, the other ten, my understanding, did. So you make choices. I mean, parents make choices. You make tough decisions along the way. That's sacrifice. Unfortunately for my dad, unfortunately for my dad, he never rebelled against it. Unfortunately for my uncle, he did, and it cost not only him did he not only pay a price for it, but so did his children. I think he had double-figure children too, and they paid a price for it too. Nineteen eighty-six, Jan and I were, you know, my first our first year of marriage. Jan was pregnant with Sydney and. I'd only, I'd only worked three different places in my life. I had worked on the farm and ranch there in Arkansas. I'd done a lot of that. Knew enough about building fence and barns and things of that nature and painting cars. So, so I worked in the car business because my dad owned one and did all that. And then I worked for Texas Instruments for four years in Dallas. And so I'd worked hard, but I'd kind of gotten... So, I, so I'm selling cars for this car dealership there in Texarkana. And, and I, I knew, because Jane was pregnant, this is May, Sydney's going to be born in June... And we had no benefits of any type, nothing. We had no money saved. We had no benefits. And I had to find a different kind of job that had benefits. So I went and I interviewed at a place called Alumax Mill Products, an aluminum mill, and it was kind of like a steel mill. 
And so I, the first day I interviewed there, I went out there, had a tie on, had a white shirt on, and I remember this guy, Tom, Tom I want to say his last name here, but some of you may be kin to him, but, uh, but Tom took me through Remail, and Remail is where they take these huge, huge bundles or bales, they call them, of cans that have been smashed, okay, these big, huge bales, and they dump them in these enormous vats, Big, well, about the size, the bat probably is about the size of this stage right here. I don't know how deep it was. It was massive, and it was orange most of the time. So it's burning the dross off, and it's all coming to the top. And it's nasty, and it's dark. It's a huge, huge building and, and a, a warehouse. And I'm walking through there going, I wasn't even a Christian at the time. I didn't become a Christian until six months later. And I'm walking through there going, man, if I, if I could give you a picture of hell, it looked like this. There are people walking around with things over their head and they're looking in this thing and there's big vats and it was miserable and I got a tie on and a white shirt <laughs> and he's looking at me and he's going uh he just said Kurt I don't I don't know if this is cut out for you <laughs> I just don't know if this is you I said I, you know I need the job I said I need the job and I said I mean I've hauled hay all my life I've worked on the farm I tell you I can work. I know how to work hard don't let this fool you I got the job I went to work and uh, eventually became, I ran a machine called a scalper, which was one of the machines I ran. And, the, and these ingots here, that's what you'd get out of remelt. <clears throat> when they would do those cans, they'd make them into the ingots that look like this right here, which are about two feet thick, about 25 feet long. They're about 32,000 pounds. And my machine was called a scalper, and we'd take off the impurities off the top and bottom of that so they could be rolled in these huge coils. And then end up going and making new products, I mean, from aluminum boats to cans, okay? <clears throat> but I remember the first night I went out there, I came, back, I came in, and Jan will tell you, we lived, we lived in a trailer house in our mom and dad's front yard. She hates me telling that, but we did. That's where we spent our honeymoon, matter of fact. That's where we spent our honeymoon, was there. And that's, that's Arkansas, northeast Texas for you. The old saying goes, Tori likes this. What, what's the one thing in common, uh, what's a divorce and a... Uh, and a divorce and a tornado that's in, uh, what's the thing that's in common between a divorce and a tornado in Arkansas somebody's about to lose a trailer that's a fact okay okay so there we were I come walking in there that first night and Jen will tell you and I said babe I got two weeks two weeks in me here that's it <laughs> I said, I ain't going to make it. It's June in Texas, and they have coolant flying everywhere. So it's not only just the, the humidity that was already in the air, we were adding moisture in the air. And I was, I can't do this. I was there five and a half more years. Six months after that, I gave my life to the Lord on December 14th. I made it public. December 13th, I gave my life to the Lord. December 14th, 1986. I made it public, and this passage of Scripture reminds me of Matthew, in Matthew 16, Jesus' words. Then Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Literally, you self-sacrifice. Take up your cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life from me, will find it. What good would it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange 
for their soul. That morning, there was a hymn invitation. I don't remember what the pastor preached. It didn't matter. I knew I was ready because Christ found me and I recognized it. It's a song, a hymn from years ago. It goes like this. Wherever He leads, I'll go. Wherever He leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever He leads, I'll go. Take up Thy cross and follow me. I heard my Master say, I gave my life to ransom thee. Surrender your all today. I had no idea what that meant. (laughs) But I meant it. But I will confess to you today. There have been occasional moments and seasons since that time when I have faced such depths of despair and discouragement that I wanted to take it back. I've said to God, forget it. Forget it. I'll always believe. But I no longer want to carry my cross. But I suppose none of us in here really ever want to walk the road of Calvary as much as we think we do. And I am no exception to that, folks. It's always been easier to talk about offering yourself than to offer yourself. There are times I have asked, is it worth it? No question, it's probably taken years of mine and Jan's life off of us. That's my guess. The other question becomes, what's the other option? (laughs) Take it, just go live on your own again? Is that the other option? And I would just say this this morning, and I know I'm going way too long here. When did the church become the problem? When did the call become the problem? I understand. When did the call and the church become the problem inside the church? I realize why the call and the church is a problem in culture. I just never have figured out why it's a problem inside the church. Because everywhere else, we'll ask people to give time, to give money, to give talent, and we'll ask it beyond anything that we can even comprehend, and we'll say, okay, but somehow the church is a problem. The call of God is a problem. When did that happen? I just thought self-sacrifice was part of the transformative journey of following after Christ. 
I didn't know it was optional. I should have jumped in that line a long time ago. Because I'm from Arkansas, maybe, I don't know. I I was pretty simple-minded. When I started reading Scripture, I thought it meant what you read. I didn't know you could find another lane to jump into and say, oh, that option, I'll take that one. We never thought it was unusual to work 30 to 40 to 50 to 60, Jan 40 to 50, me 50 to 60 hours a week for six years as layman. Teach Sunday school, be on the board, be at church three times a week, work, drive 20 miles each way, preach on Wednesday nights to the youth as an unpaid volunteer. Didn't think there was anything unusual about it. Just didn't. But today you look like some, you got like a fourth eye or something. You just do. I mean, when I stepped away from when I drank alcohol for a decade and when I gave up alcohol for the good of others, I didn't give it up because of me. I gave it up because, why? Because I was reaching young people. And one of the things I know for young people is, one, they can't handle it. 21 should be the age. I think it should be 41, but that's beside the point. But let me say this. Because I also know, because of my life of 10 years away from God, that's where most girls especially girls, have their first sexual encounter is after alcohol. This day and age, I look like I got a fifth eye bringing up alcohol. I just do. I wish I could. No, I don't really. I never crave it. But to have a beer or a glass of wine would sound awesome, except that so many people don't know how to handle it, even those who are 51 and 61 and 41. They don't know how to handle it, so it screws it up for the rest of us. I'm not going out, I'm not sitting around desiring it, but you give it up for the good of others. Many of us in this room are looking for a leisurely life, we're looking for an easy life out there somewhere. Let me say this. I think there needs to be margin, and Allie's going to teach on that in a few weeks. There needs to be space, and we need to have our lives figured out, and we need to have, you know how to live this life out financially, time-wise, and all those kind of things. I agree with that 100%. But if your life's goal is to figure out how to live the, live the easiest life, I'm praying against you. <laughs> I'm just praying against you. If you're praying for a life that may seem a lot easier than what you've been doing because now you're living in the flow and the stream of the Holy Spirit because now you're advancing the kingdom, okay, go for that easy life. We shouldn't be trying for long-term leisure. We should be trying for long-term impact. Some of you in here are getting older. Your greatest days are ahead of you. You've been doing all this to really now have the time and the space to do the things that you've been wanting to do all along.
You picked a bad Sunday for this view first Sunday at Renovation. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it's a bad Sunday to come here. I've been venting this up for five years, and I'm ready to... No, that's not true. Not true, just five months. But the, here's the deal. We want to be a place at Renovation. Our hope and prayer is... And if you're coming in and kind of checking this out, we get that. We're not asking you to step into anything. We, we get that. And if you're coming here even more than that broken, and you need healing, we hope and pray this is a place you can come and find that and get back up and going and start moving again. But if you're coming here just to be a consumer, there's a lot of other places you can go. Somebody needs your seat. And I know we got a lot of empty seats. It's just not worth it to me to do what we try to do for consumers. I know we live in a day and age of entitlement. I get it. I get it. Most of us know if you've raised kids, you know what it's like to you have some image of what it is to self-sacrifice. If you've been married, you get that to one degree. If you have children, you even get it to another degree in many ways. To sacrifice sleep, sacrifice money, sacrifice retirement, sacrifice recreation, rec you know, free time, whatever it is. But the reality is for most of you, you are willing to love your children that way, but the reality is most of your children don't love you back the same way. They don't. At this stage of their life, they love you because of what you're doing for them and maybe loving you because of who you are. Hopefully you're so attractive and such a fragrance and aroma of, of Christ that they would love you no matter what. But there is a Grand Canyon chasm of difference between loving people because of what they do for you or because of even who they are than loving people because of who you've become in Christ. A Grand Canyon chasm between those two. Some of you in here have never ever really loved anyone else because the only way to love this way is to be transformed by Christ. You have never loved anyone else except because of what they have or have not done for you or just because of who they are and you can't help it. Because you're self-centered. You're self-absorbed. I believe there comes a point. If you're a full-blown follower of Jesus Christ, you begin to lay your life down. I believe there will be a moment, and then there will be a bunch of moments after that. <laughs> but you begin to get it. You choose to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, instigated and empowered by the Holy Spirit. See, some of you have arrived at this point of your life with many folks self-sacrificing on your behalf. 
And some of you in here may get it today, and you've tried to turn around and figure out how to give that back to them, but I'm going to say most of us in here don't get it. What if they had not? What if they had not sacrificed for you? What if they had not laid it down for you? Some of you in here need to go to some folks today and just say, get off, I'm tired of carrying you. (laughs) Time to get off. My back hurts. The question then becomes, how much do I sacrifice? And my question back to you is, is how much is is at stake? How much is at stake? If you don't think there's much at stake, then I would say there's not much sacrifice. Some of you have been living on welfare Christianity way too long. Way, way too long. Let someone else pay my expenses. Let me tell you this, welfare has always been there for short-term help, not for long-term dependence. Our folks in this valley and around the country are full of other people, full of people who want the benefit but are not willing to pay the price. Even though I will mention finance here briefly, and I mean briefly, I heard a sermon this week from a pastor here in town. If you want to know a great sermon on tithing, I'll let you listen. And you can even go to that church. I don't care. (laughs) If you'll do what he's asking. I've said this about tithing. By the way, some of you are probably along the way, and I don't keep up with all this, but some of you probably along the way put tithe on your note, on your deal. But tithe is 10% of the gross of whatever God is bringing into your life. 10% of your gross. That's what it is. It is just what it is. Now, you can call it something else, but it doesn't make it, it, doesn't make it something else. That's what it is. And I love what this pastor said. He said, I heard, he said what, do you call some, what, what, what do you call it when you keep something that is not yours? He said, stealing. <laughs> First 10% is not ours. It's called stealing. But I'm blaming it on him. So if you know who that pastor is, I didn't say it. He said it first. So <laughs> just so I can blame it on him. Because I would not want to. Again, glad you came this Sunday. I know you're so glad you came this Sunday. Our children back there need leaders. But I want to tell you what. The bar is pretty high. You may not make it. We don't set low bars for great things. There's great things happening back there. You may not make the cut, but we'd like to find out if you can. I hear people say a lot of times, well, I only come once a month, so I don't want to volunteer for children. You know what my answer to that is? Come more often! (laughs) It's a real easy answer. Come four times a week, then four times a month, then volunteer once. It's a real easy answer. Isn't this fun? (laughs) I am having fun today. I love what Edward Yarnell says. He says, We were made in God's image, and he, he willingly sacrificed himself for others. The more we come to know God, the more we understand our true nature, the more natural self-sacrifice will become for us. The 
Maybe vulnerability is a true strength. Maybe sacrificing yourself for the good of others is not a sign of weakness, but it is the greatest power the world ever knows. In light of Yarnell's, Yarnell's statement there, I think I can say this with confidence. I, can believe, I believe the greatest moments ever in your life is when you give yourself willingly for others. I get it. Giving it for yourself and self-indulgence feels really good, but it's not your best moments. It's just not. Because in those moments you're reflecting... When you give yourself, you're reflecting the highest form of Imago Day. But it's a choice. I love this phrase I heard years ago. It says, sacrifice isn't sacrifice until it changes your lifestyle. Sacrifice isn't sacrifice until it changes your lifestyle. How can we do this a little bit this week? Some different ways. I'm going to sign him to come as we close. Maybe you give up a luxury that you've had so, so someone else can gain a necessity. You have to figure out what that is. What if you said, for the next month, next two months, I'm going to be here every week. And I'm going to be on time. I'm going to sit down front because I'm going to give up my personal preference because down front, I just preach better from when you're down front. Oh, I know. <laughs> and maybe the sound's even better down here. You never know. <clears throat> maybe for the next month, you're just going to walk across the room every Sunday and greet people you haven't spoken to in a while and introduce yourself for the good of others. Maybe for some of you, it's you need to lay down your pride or your pain to mend a relationship. And I'm going to vouch for this one here. Few self-sacrifices are as heavy or as difficult as forgiving someone who has wronged you. Yet in doing so, you're more like God. Maybe for some of you, you need, you need to quit being the smartest person in the room. You just need to shut up. With all due respect and God's blessing on you. <laughs> when you have something to say, just stop. And let someone else find a voice. Because you keep stepping in and answering every question and stepping in, you're not allowing them to begin to become what they're supposed to be. Because you think you already know the answer to everything. Guess what? You don't anyway. <laughs> Some of you need to reverse that. You need to step forward and start speaking when you haven't been. Bold as we defined here is speaking or acting out the truth for the good of others, even at personal risk. Your peer pressure that you're dealing with, the relationship you may be in, whatever that is, it's time.
to step forward and say this or that. I love these words that I paraphrased from Francis Chan a few years ago. It's this. If this faith we talk about is the deciding factor and is the ultimate and only healer of individuals, marriages, families, cultures, and a nation or the world, we have to come to a sobering conclusion. Either there are individual lives and marriages and families and cultures and nations or a world at stake, or they are not. And if they are not, let's go do something else with our lives. But if this faith is the deciding factor and is the ultimate and only healer of all these mentioned, then we need to take this real, real serious and we need to get real, real busy. Our God is a God of self-sacrifice. He expects us to live in His image. This is a great journey, folks. And yeah, there may be seasons where you just go, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. And then there's these moments that come and go, okay, what's your other choice, Kurt? Give me that one. (laughs) But even more sobering than that is God's faithfulness. He's always had me. He's always had a plan for me. And somebody, some other circumstance cannot steal that plan. But for some of you, you need to come to the point and offer yourself, though. You need to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God. Today. Won't you stand as we close? I tried to stay on script, but got away from me. So, but hopefully and pray that God uses the words and the songs today and the prayers to make a difference. But we're going to sing. Lord, help us right now. In these few moments, those who want to come and even pray around these altars or right where they are, to just, Lord, you, you work in their minds and their hearts. And, Lord, I pray, genuinely pray today, Lord, that my intention was not to be offensive, offensive just to be offensive. It was never been that. My heart is, Lord, that we would live into the fullness of what you've called us to do. And it'll look different in different people's lives. But no question, nor each one of us are confronted with the question, will we lay our life down for you? and for others that really is the confronting you you may change us all in different areas and challenge us in different areas but today lord i pray that you would help us to no longer if we've been there no longer to be consumers but investors for the kingdom use this few minutes here for your glory lord in jesus name